0: Hello and welcome to the Masters Swimming Podcast, available on all the major podcast platforms and on YouTube. I'm Joe Malone and this week I'm joined by Loughborough University's Director of Swimming, Andy Manley. Uh, So thanks for coming on the podcast, Andy. Hi Joe, thanks for having me. I want to start actually by saying that we, we met at the Etwall Eagles uh, competition last uh, last November. Um, and I was quite taken aback because, you know, you were just really polite. And when I told you about the podcast, the first thing that you said to me was, here's my number. If you need anything, just let me know. And so I just want to say thank you for that because, um, you know, you didn't have to do that. And I thought it was uh, very nice of you. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pleasure. Not at all. Um, so... Loughborough University is—I mean, everybody knows it. It's one of the main bases for British swimming, as we know, but it's also got one of the best offerings for for sport generally across you know universities in the UK. Y- you've been in the role that you're in now as director since 2018. So, t- talk to us about what your role entails as director. So, I assume you're still on the deck coaching on a on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, that's right. So the, the directors of in the in the performance programmes at Loughborough, some some do coach, some don't, some are, are purely like a strategic or a like a performance director type role for their sport. So I I do coach. It's the it's the part of the job I enjoy the most, um, working with the athletes. I think the the director side of it is more strategic in terms of forward planning and and trying to hit the the aims of the performance programmes within Loughborough and, and the university as a whole.
0: Um, but it's the it's the being on
1: pole side working with athletes part that that sort of excites me the
0: most. Yeah, that sounds good. And, and do you have other coaches that you work with that I guess you are, are sort of in charge of or you, or you head up?
1: Yeah, so we, I, I do. I line manage three other coaches. We have that, uh, that are full time members of staff. We have we've recently appointed like a, a, a program coordinator or a, a, I guess like a, a team manager role. Somebody who can really drive the sort of the behind the scenes, the admin side of the programme. And then beneath that, one of the things that really makes Loughborough Swimming tick is the support services. So we're really fortunate to have uh, a lot of members of staff that uh, that add that sports science support for for the programme. Now they're all multi-sport. That's the way Loughborough Sport works. So it's a very um, busy kind of like environment, you know, so like for instance, our physio will also be working with, men's and women's football and perhaps a rugby team. You know, our physiologist also works with athletics. So there's always a lot going on, but we are supported well from a sports science point of view as well. And so my job is to line manage those guys as well. And then kind of overall, the the team is 85 swimmers. So we're, you know, we're a big programme in terms of senior swimming. So it's my job to hit the, you know, the performance plan and what we're trying to achieve as a programme, but also the
0: strategic aims. Yeah, no, that sounds great. And how how does British swimming and the university as two separate entities almost? How do they align in terms of, I guess, pool time and in any sort of integration?
1: Yes, yeah, so a large number of the of of the national centre athletes are also students. Right. Uh, I say a large number, probably probably about fifty percent of them study. And so, when we go to the British University Championships, which uh, is taking place next week up in Sheffield, they they'll all come and be part of the the Loughborough University team there. It is a busy pool. You know, we have an eight lane, 50 meter pool, but there aren't many minutes in the day where it's not being used. So for instance, like a typical morning might be like um, 5.15 till 7, uh, sorry, 5.15 till 6.45 would be like what we call like our development squad, the university development squad. Then our high performance group would swim 6.45 till 8.45. And then British swimming would be in 8.45 till 10.45. And then bit of a gap in the middle of the day where other users are in the pool and then probably the reverse of that in the the afternoon and evening so in terms of day-to-day collaboration there's not a lot of crossover with the the British swimming national center and and what we're doing with our program um you know they've got their mission they've got their goals they're working towards we we've, we've got ours but you know the coaches all get along good there's there's some you know sharing of ideas as uh, you know the athletes a lot of them would live together you know or study on the same course so there is that element of of sort of collaboration but you know we also have just
0: uh, the schedule and the the goals we're individually working towards yeah. It, I mean, that's amazing. You're saying that, you know, the kind of the first squad are in at 5.15 and, and these are students. <laughs> when I take myself back to when I was a student, there was no way I was getting up at 5.15. I was more likely to get in at 5.15 than get up at 5.15. Yeah. So it, it's a totally different mentality. It's it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, um, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think one of the things Loughborough did a few years ago, which has helped with that, is they they do have a dedicated uh, like halls of residence for like elite athletes, not just swimmers, but across all sports. Because you're right, if, our, if some of our athletes are getting up at, you know, 4.30 to get ready for their morning session, well, yeah, the, the, the person in the room next door might have only got in an hour ago. And, and because that is a normal student life, you're right. And so um, that was a really good initiative that the university brought in uh, a little way back. So the majority of our first year students will go into that halls of residence block. Um, and then from then on, typically uh, head out into renting houses, et cetera, and year two onwards.
0: Yeah. Am I right? You were a student at Loughborough yourself.
1: That's right. A long time ago now. <laughs> uh, so I, I studied there. I did my degree. I did my master's degree. My, my wife was a, a swimmer and a student there. That's where we met. Um, and so that was a big reason for always wanting this, uh, the, the the job of being a coach with the the programme. It was something that when I did graduate and finally left, it was always sort of the thing that I put top on my list of jobs I wanted to do.
0: Uh, and so I'm very fortunate to be in that position now as director of swimming where I can keep driving the programme forwards. No, yeah, that's that's fantastic. So let, let's kind of go uh, through your coaching career so far then. So uh, apologies if I've missed any out here, but um, I've got it down as Swindon Dolphins, um, DaVinci Excel, Swim Ontario and Loughborough. Is that correct or is there only that I've missed there? No, that's it. You nailed it. So from, fr- from a swimming perspective then... Uh, how how do they each differ, or or do they differ, or, or the principles of like you know coaching a squad of people pretty much the same no matter where you are?
1: Yeah, so that the first role uh, in in Swindon was like straight out of me uh, effectively you know leaving Loughborough, uh, an opportunity came up there to to take on the program. Now that was a that was a huge club in terms of numbers and range. So you had everything from kids who starting swimming lessons from the, the first time they'd entered the water right the way through to a really big, vibrant Masters team. Um, And and as head coach, I guess my my role was to sort of oversee all of that whilst coaching squads within it. So I think that the the way you you described it then is exactly right. Ultimately, you're working with people and you're coaching a person. You know, it doesn't matter whether, you know, there's somebody that's trying to qualify for their first ever county championships or like I'm at now at Loughborough, we're trying to get people to win Olympic medals. Sure. You know, the, the, the challenge is bigger, I guess, in a way, but it, it's all it's all relative for the person you're working with. But you you're coaching a person and there's a lot of transferable skills and you know, the training sets might be different, but how you communicate, the softer skills in what you do, that's exactly the same.
0: Mm. No, no, I, I completely agree. And I'm glad you. I'm glad that's kind of how you think with coaching because I think I think that's really important. For, no matter what age you are, even if you're a, a child or a you know 56 year old master swimmer, but, was it always coaching for you? You know, when you were at university, was did you always want to be a coach? Was that was that the path for you?
1: No, not not at all. I think I think the biggest problem with me is I, I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do, and so I kind of got to the end of my degree. I did my degree over uh, the, the you know the normal three years and kind of was at a point where. I'm not really sure what I want to do. I was still enjoying my swimming, uh, albeit not not as successful as most of my teammates around me at Loughborough, but, you know, I was I was doing okay. And so then I enrolled on a master's degree, which I I did part-time. So, so I figured, you know, let's let's do a master's, keep swimming, and in that time I'll figure out what I want to do. I mean, probably into the, the last part of that and still not 100% sure. And it was at that point that I'd started doing my coaching and teaching qualifications, you know, usually in like Easter break or during the summer, you know, I'd started with back then it was like assistant teacher, teacher, club coach. And then I think the final one was called ASA coach, all very different now, but this was back sort of like early 2000s and got to the end of that point and still wasn't a hundred percent sure. And and it was just, I guess by a bit of chance that this job was advertised in Swindon, My, my parents, lived in a town or we lived in a town called Marlborough, which is about half an hour away from Swindon. And it kind of just like added up that this was a good opportunity to go into something like this. Mm. Still not 100% that that's what I wanted to do long-term. But then as soon as I got into that and as soon as I got into that role, luckily I was appointed. Uh, you know, that was for me was the, you know, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. The the buzz of doing that, the excitement of preparing athletes for competitions helping them develop seeing the progress
0: they made was something that really uh excited me and, and still does now no oh, that's really cool then um so then it's davencio excel next right um what 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 years were you there because i'm obviously i'm from belper derbyshire so i know DaVincio reasonably well and i knew a lot of swimmers that were there kind of around my age group so um for me it was it was like rebecca harrison richard sellers um the, the Lovett brothers i think yeah were you there around that sort of time
1: yeah, so the first two you mentioned there were probably just a tiny bit before me okay. but uh yeah, the lovett family were were involved um you know in, in my time there all all three of them so uh swam at some point with me in that in that period but yeah so that that for me was that was two thousand and nine so I'd i kind of then had been at Swindon a long time I'd taken them to a point where you know we were doing well we had national age group medalists, the club in terms of things like uh, what is now Arena League, we're, we're doing great. You know, I think we finished third in like the Western Premier Division behind like Plymouth and Millfield, which was an amazing achievement for for a club that hadn't had a lot of success in that competition. But what was really exciting for me was that that performance ends, you know, so the opportunity came up at, at Da Vinci, which was, as as you know, like, a, I guess like a county performance squad, a, a way smaller programme than I was used to in Swindon, which was about, 400 to 450 members you know wow. Da Vinci was like 45 members yeah. but the focus was more on I say high performance more like the performance end of age group and youth swimming so yeah, we were yeah. expecting to be competing successfully at nationals and and the big thing we did there really well I felt um you know I took over from from a guy called Mark Rose who, who had done an amazing job setting it up um, and then we, you know, we took a lot of pride in the fact we were every year we were putting people onto like the Great Britain European Junior Teams or European Youth Olympics, and we created a lot of international summers through that period, um, and gained real momentum with the, the the athletes that did that, many of whom have gone on since to represent Great Britain at a senior level at Commonwealths, Worlds, Europeans, and Olympics. Yeah. So that for me was a real uh, exciting time. Different challenges. You know, because a club of 45 with, you know, 20 plus hours of pool time a week, you know, isn't isn't a wealthy club. And so there are other challenges there in terms of the income generation strategies we needed, but a really enjoyable time in terms of
0: me stepping up as a coach into that international arena. Mm. I, I was going to ask how did you find the difference there because I guess at Swindon whilst you'd have had swimmers that were really serious about the sport you'd have also have had a lot of swimmers who were there for fun socialising but Da Vincio is is a different ball game yes you want to still have fun but you're all there because you're serious and so did you did you feel the shift in mentality when you went there?
1: Yeah it was quite an I opener know when I first went in the first few weeks with the sort of the the, the shift in terms of what the athletes could do and, and the sort of the not professionalism because we're still talking about coaching kids, but just that, that, the high performance behaviors that I guess Mark Rose had instilled in them that, you know, they were all there 30 minutes before every session to do pre-pull. They all stayed for 20 minutes after each session to stretch and roll out, you know, just the, that level of performance started to nudge up. And so that was quite an eye opener. You know, there's, there was now an element of support service to what we did, you know, a more comprehensive S&C program rather than it being a bit haphazard and, you know, that. It was across the whole group um, and just the focus went up, you know, every, attendance straight away was, was higher. So, yeah, there, there was a noticeable shift for me, but it was one that I, I loved it. You know, I, I knew straight away it was a good move to have made. And again, fortunately, the, the success came with it and the programme grew, grew and grew in terms of the results we were getting.
0: Yeah, yeah. So then you decided to up sticks and move to Canada. Um, so talk talk me through that one. Was that Was that something you wanted to do from a a life point of view, or was it specifically because this role came up for swimming?
1: Yes, a bit of both, I guess. You know, it was always something when I started getting into coaching, I thought, you know, that would be a really exciting thing to do, to coach overseas. Now, for me, it would have had to be an English-speaking country. I'm not, you know, I don't know any languages. (laughs) You know, so like Canada, Australia, you know, the US would have been, you know, what we were looking at. And I think by that point, so that was, you know, I started the DaVinci show in 2019. So this was sort of, you know, getting towards early 2015 where, where I knew that this opportunity was coming up. So part of it was, you know, people, you know, right place, right time kind of thing. Um, and part of it was that this would be an exciting thing. Now it was a tough decision. You know, we we were at a point where, you know, DaVinci was, was going really, really well. Um, but, such is life, this this opportunity came up at that time and we, we had to make a, a decision on what to do and went for it. Felt it was a good move to move out to Toronto and, and kind of go into this new program effectively. So it was set up as a as a provincial youth academy uh and in in a brand new facility. We had two 10-lane, 50-meter pools. Wow. Plus a, a six-lane, twenty-five-meter pool that was the diving pit. You know, it was it was an enormous venue. You know, indoor running track, two gyms, climbing walls, all the recovery, uh, strategy. You know, rooms you wanted. You know, with ice baths, heated. Uh, you know, like hot tub type things, and you know everything, anything in terms of what you needed for high performance. It was there, and it was alongside their national center as well. And so, again, I guess a little bit of a brave step in terms of could we set a program up there with some of the challenges around that, but. You know something that I'm really glad that I did do, albeit ended up only being for one year.
0: Yeah, and so how did you, because of because of the extra facilities that that you had there, did you did you again notice a shift in the athletes in terms of their mindset? Because it, you know, I I've always kind of thought that if you've just got like stripped right back, the absolute basic, you know, a, a six lane twenty five meter grotty pool. You will still get the, the old person who's like so motivated that they, you know, they'll never let their standards slip. But for a lot of people, that sort of environment could lead to a, a slip in standards. So, did you find again a shift in, in and in a raise in standards because of all of these facilities that you had?
1: Um, I mean, it was quite a unique setup, right? Just say, say, I moved there now where the program's been running for. You know, close to 10 years and and there's a lot more, you know, uh, history and sort of like there's there's a set structure to it because it was new. I mean, when I first got there, there were two swimmers in the program. That that was it. Right. And so we had to grow the program from scratch. And I and I knew that I didn't go in expecting a pool of like 20 athletes. I knew it would be a, a slow burner. Um, and so to answer your question, I guess I guess to start with, it was it was on a par with the level of athlete that I was working with at DaVencio albeit like you say we were in we were in the best facilities possible and i think the athletes appreciated and respected that yeah. and so their standards were nudged up because they knew you know they could come out of the pool and go to the nutrition recovery room and it's just full of fridges with shakes and you know they can blenders and they can make you know smoothies it, they they were i don't want to say spoiled because they they did appreciate what they got but but it was you couldn't have wanted anything else in terms of um that high-performance environment. So I think the level of athlete might have been similar to the top end of what I had at Da Vincio, but they were very grateful and respectful of, of the environment and what they had. And, and because
0: of that, it enhanced their
1: effort levels and their commitment to what we were trying to do with the programme.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds good. So you say you you were there for a year. Was that, was that only because the Loughborough opportunity then came up to move back, or did you always want it to be a short-term move?
1: No, no, it's exactly that. It's exactly because of the Laffer opportunity. So when we went there, we um, we bought a house in Canada. So we, you know, we'd been for a couple of visits, my wife and I, because obviously the, the kids were very young at the time. We knew it was a big, a big move. It wasn't just me as a single guy, you know, dropping everything and, and leaving. So we went with the intention that it was going to be, you know, long term, if not for good. Um, and you know, like I say, bought the house. the the kids got settled into to school and kindergarten out there. And, you know, we really did. We made a huge effort to ju- just immerse ourselves and adjust to, you know, the Canadian lifestyle. And then out of the blue, um, got a call in probably... So I started there in, uh, like, sept- uh, start of September 20, 2015. Got a call from my old coach in Armager at, at Loughborough, who, who's, who was back there coaching uh, at the time telling me that he was retiring and and I was one of a few names they were looking at. Would I be interested in coming back? And that was a, that was a really difficult call to receive. Yeah, I on the one hand, it's the, it's the job I'd always wanted to do. Yeah. You know, from the moment I started coaching, I said, this, this is where I want to coach. On the other hand, we'd, we'd been in Canada then for, you know, six, seven months, settled, things were going well, the program was growing. We were getting results. I could see a future there. Mm. And that was a really few uh, tough conversations, I guess, that we had to have in terms of, you know, what, what do we do here? Um, and ultimately then, yeah, it was sad to only be there for a year. I think I was made to feel really, really welcome by everyone in, in Swim Ontario. You know, the local coaches, the the athletes I was working with from Canada, um, really made to feel welcome. So, you know, felt I was letting them down a, a, a little bit or not. No, not even a little bit, a lot. But ultimately it was the job I'd always wanted to do. And it was the one job when we left that we said, look, if this comes up, we'll come back. I wouldn't have come back to go back into a a club environment. I felt that that part of my coaching career was done. Um, I'd kind of achieved what I wanted to in that respect in terms of the age group youth side of things and and felt that that was something I didn't want to go back into. But this was the one job that I said, yeah, we'd, we'd go back for this. And it came up, you know, just a few months after, after having left. So that was a a tough one, but it was the right decision. It's, you know, it's proven that now over the last, you know, I've been there, I've been, this is my seventh season uh, as a coach in the programme. And obviously, as you said earlier, since, since 2018, I've been director of
0: yeah, no, that's fantastic. And um, yeah, real shame, I suppose, that you only had a year out there. But I guess to just, was there anything that you kind of learned while you're out there or or other things that you've taken from that experience out in Canada that you've brought to Loughborough to, you know, to obviously improve things at uh, the university?
1: So I think the use of support services, there was although we had it to an extent at DaVinci a little bit, it was very, you know, very much you know dribs and drabs just small small amounts but to have that level of support service and for me to actually see right how can I how can I uh best utilize these people and the skills they have to enhance the the athletes and the journey each athletes on in terms of their development so I think you know for the first time we had a we had an amazing biomechanist that worked with me pretty much full-time in in, in program in Canada and that use of like video and, and technical analysis is something that, that is, you know, we've we've kept, you know, it was at Loughborough anyway, but it's something that we place such a high regard on. Um, but just that overall use of support services. So utilising the people there and the skills they have to add value to what we're trying to do with the athletes.
0: Sounds good. So to, um, sort of taking away the swimmers that you currently have now, because I think it'd be unfair to ask this question, given, given the current crop you've got, who's the best swimmer you've ever coached? Again, minus the swimmers that you're currently coaching now.
1: So pre Loughborough,
0: yeah. Um, I mean
1: i i had a I had a group of athletes uh, at the event show that all happened to be breaststrokers uh, of similar age that were coming through at the same time. So God, if you had, if I had to nail it down on one, that would, that would be tough. I guess the the two standouts I'd say that that were probably most enjoyable to coach was Molly Renshaw and Abby Wood. Right. So they were two that came through the program with me at at the event show and have have gone on to achieve great things. And that's not to undermine anything else anyone did under me uh, at the event show. But those two would, I guess, would would stand out in terms of my pre-Loughborough coaching.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Um, So so I want to talk about your kind of your own swimming journey now uh, in in the pool itself, and then we'll come to your current squad. Uh, kind of afterwards. So, where, where did where did the whole swimming thing begin for you? Like, how old were you when you first started swimming um, with with a club?
1: Yeah, pretty early. I mean, my memories are of of having swimming lessons. Like, you know, everyone gets started into it, and then I, I don't remember how that transitioned into into a club. But I grew up uh, uh, down on the outskirts of London, and so the first club I swam at was uh, was Barnet Copthall. Oh yeah. Um, so I remember swimming there, you know, as, as a as a youngster before we the family moved to Marlborough to Wiltshire when I was about eleven years old. And so, like, I guess most of my swimming memories are from swimming at Marlborough Penguins, where you know made some amazing friends and that you know still in touch with now. And but I, I was never I was never an, an exceptional swimmer at that that age. You know, I think um, I. I look back on it now and I was lazy, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the work ethic needed to, to be successful. I probably had the opportunities to do so, you know, I was in a club where there were some really good swimmers that came through there, albeit probably only on about four or five sessions a week. Mm. But I even remember even, you know, even though I was a little lazy and even though I wasn't hugely successful, I always remember having such a passion for it, you know, maybe a couple of times in that period where, you know, I had to be, sort of persuaded to keep going and was probably ready to to jack it all in. But I think my mum and dad were amazing at not, certainly not forcing me to do it, but encouraging me to keep going and trying to get that enjoyment factor more than anything. And then it was probably – I probably started to get momentum in terms of swimming as fast as I wanted to, probably when I was around 16 or 17 mm-hmm. is when I probably realised that actually the harder I work – the more medals or more PBs I swim. And it and it finally clicked. Mm. And so I really then started to uh, apply myself to it. Now, I think it, looking back on it, I think the damage was done. I probably had that period of 11 to 15 where being lazy and not applying myself cost me. But around that 16, 17 time is when I started then qualifying for nationals and starting to win medals at you know regional levels and things like that. And that's when Loughborough was then like, I remember a teacher at school suggesting, well, you know, if you're interested in sport and you're, you know, you're a good swimmer, why not look at this? I'd never even heard of Loughborough. And then, you know, got my A-levels and and made my way over to Loughborough as an 18-year-old to to study and swim. And that's when, you know, again, I, as a swimmer, I kind of took off and, you know, limited success still, you know, I'm, I'm certainly nowhere near the swimmer uh, level that the athletes I coach now. But First and foremost, that enjoyment and passion for it was was always there. You know, you know, there was never any doubt that's that's what excited me the most in terms of being in that pool. And I enjoyed I enjoyed by that point training hard.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've certainly not um underachieved on a master's stage. I've got it written down here. You've got four British records that still stand to this day. Um, so two of those are in the twenty-five to twenty-nine age group category. That's the hundred free and the two hundred free. Um, forty nine fifty-eight for your hundred free, which is Exceptional short course, of course, um, and for the two hundred, it's one forty nine ninety four, and then you've also got two records in the next age group up to the thirty to thirty four. So that's again the hundred free uh, and hundred IM. So I mean that's incredible for, for British records, and and, I, and I'll be honest, I just looked at the short course. Do you? Are you aware of any long course ones?
1: Um, I don't. I'm not sure. May maybe a hundred free long course. I think I went a fifty one. Yeah, something at a European Masters meet, but. Yeah, so at the, at the time, the the forty nine five was a was a Masters world record at the time. I world think I said it, Western. and I yeah. I don't think it lasted very long. But n- nevertheless, that was I guess a, a nice achievement to have. But yeah, a lot of those times there were actually are actually PB. So I actually got quicker having left Loughborough, and it mm. used to drive Ian, my old coach, mad because yeah. I you know I obviously stayed in touch with him, and you know he's still heavily involved at Loughborough now, but. It used to drive him mad that I was doing sort of nine sessions a week with him and five land sessions and and, and went away, started coaching full time, got in and swam, you know, four or five times a week, lunchtimes in public sessions. And I would turn up at
0: national short course or a master's meet and just seem to get quicker and quicker. What do you what do you put that down to? Because uh, you know I've heard a few masters swimmers that have got a similar kind of story where they've they've absolutely drained themselves, perhaps as an age group swimmer or or in their early twenties, and then actually when they've taken their foot off the gas a little bit, they've somehow got quicker. Would, is that sort of similar for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think and obviously you know Ian Armiger did an amazing job coaching me um, through through most of my time at Loughborough, um, and so obviously that that. Physiological architecture was there, you know. I'd had years and years of building that base, and I was obviously I was in decent shape. I think then when I left, I I could refine it and do it however I wanted to because I wasn't, you know, as you well know, when you're in a squad and there's 24 of you in a six lane pool or 16 of you in a four lane pool, which we had at times at, at Loughborough it's um, it's tough to make it totally individual. Now, and, and that's not to criticise any coach because it's it's very hard. And so, you know, I, I was swimming PBs constantly through my time at Loughborough, but it was that period then when I left that I could refine what I was doing. So obviously I had all that knowledge of of having worked under Ian and under Mike Perrybroon before him, but I was able to just take what I knew now as a coach as well and, and sort of coach myself. So I wasn't getting any technical input but I was able to just do the sets that I felt made me feel good, made me feel fast, not push myself to that point that I was getting too beat up. Mm. But having had that background of, you know, six years of being at Loughborough with that, you know, doing a constant 55, 60 kilometres a week, mm. um,
0: that
1: that that then, you know, that goes for something. You don't lose that straight away. And so what I could do, for instance, if I, you know, if I got in one day and was warming up and had a set in mind to do and felt terrible, I could just change it.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, that's not going to work today. So, or if I felt totally terrible, right, I'm going to get out and try again tomorrow. Yeah. So I could, I could do it my way. I was swimming in public lanes, you know, that uh, luckily the place I swam out was pretty quiet. And yeah, just for the next sort of, I guess next five Five or six years I just kept getting quicker and quicker. Which was <laughs> which was great. I just you know, I loved it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so go on, give us an example then of a of a perfect Andy Manley set at that at that point in your life. You know, you said you could refine it to what, what you enjoyed doing. So what, what kind of what would a session look like for you?
1: Yeah, well we do And it's stuff I still do now with my swimmers, actually. We do stuff, what we call like rainbow sets. So we use a a system of intensity based on colours. So a rainbow set would be going through a really big descent, a big range within a session. And I really like those. And I've used those from when I started coaching uh, um, in in Swindon. And we did one actually this morning with our international guys at Loughborough. So they're things that I still like doing uh, now as an athlete. And so it would be, you know, uh, an example of a set might be something like, um, I don't know, 350s freestyle, which would be fairly steady, just on like 50. And then something like a 250, which would descend, you know, one to eight. So it'd be eight rounds of 350s and a 250. And a 250 would have to get quicker and quicker and quicker. And there's loads of ways to design that and, you know, play around with it. You could do it as I am. You can, you know, I I do it largely as freestyle. Yeah. But they were challenges that I really like getting my teeth into. That going for a full range within a session, you know, so you're starting light aerobic and finishing up really fast. Um, So use them as a swimmer when I was swimming myself, use them now. And the the swimmers really like that, embrace that challenge of working through those various energy systems.
0: Yeah. And how many sort of meters were you doing a week when, again, when you're kind of hitting these big PBs?
1: So still quite a lot, I guess, for, for a master swimmer, but I'd say a normal week, In that period where I was swimming my best as a master swimmer was probably five swim sessions a week and probably I'd say between 20 and 25 kilometers. So I was was getting in and, you know, I I might do a week of five, 5K sessions. You know, I would very rarely do more than 5K um, and some sessions if it was speed work or or I might have been busy on time because I was obviously working full time then. The one or oh, sorry, the two things I'd say that made a massive difference. All right, when people ask me is one is I raced a lot. Like very, very frequently. So I was in the club at Swindon where I'd honestly say like twenty six out of fifty two weeks in the year, there'd be some competition at the weekend. Now a lot of them I just joined in with. You know, the swimmers liked it. I was you know, the I, you know, the head coaches swimming in the team. So if it was Arena League, there you go, you got three rounds of that. Then in Wiltshire we'd have had like a what used to be called the Winter League. There were four rounds of that. And then there were four rounds of a summer league. So straight away you're at eleven galas, if you like. Mm. But there aren't, you know, they're just Saturday evening things. Yeah. yeah. But then you'd have county championships and county masters championships, which were separate. And then you'd have regional championships and regional masters championships. And so I was racing loads. And it kept me sharp and it kept the speed element of that, that in there because you can try and replicate that in training, but ultimately, the you know racing is the ultimate way to sort of really test yourself and 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 push to those upper ends. So that was one thing I think that really helped. And the second thing was the the strength program that I was doing. That I was in the gym, you know, three to four times a week lifting really heavy. Um, you know, for me, sorry, you know, like not not heavy in the grand scheme of things, but you know, in terms of me, I was getting stronger and stronger. Yeah. Um, and I, and again, I had the time to do that, uh, was, was lifting with other people that were in the Swindon like team at the time in the masters group. Um, and so they were the two things that really added to that. So although my actual pull volume was a fraction of what I was doing at Loughborough and I was swimming four or five times a week rather than nine, I think combined with the, the gym program and combined with the frequent racing
0: was the reason that I was able to keep moving on and, and setting those PBs. That's great, uh, and so obviously we uh, we said at the, at the start of this podcast that we met at the Wall competition, but that was your that was your first competition for quite a long time on the Master Space, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, well, so I swam a relay back in 2019 with uh, a, a group of guys that I trained with at lunchtime at Loughborough um but individually yeah I, I've not I've not raced for a very long time see I, I, I was trying to work it out and I think the last time I probably would have raced individually was probably 2009 I want to say so yeah probably 2009 so yeah when when we met a, at that competition the Masters competition that was my first individual race for for a very long time yeah and that's kind of been that's kind of happened as a result of my kids getting into swimming and the you know the the sort of like family rivalry that's sort of like created here with, you know, a little bit of challenge from my eldest son there. And I think the way I look at it is if I'm going to spend, you know, a, a weekend at a swim meet, you know, sat in the balcony while they're racing, if it's an event I can swim, I might, I might as well race myself because it's uh, it's certainly more fun. You know, it breaks the day up a bit more for me. It gives me reason to stay in shape. You know, I'm yeah. 46 years old now and I think like I don't, I don't like running I did it during lockdown and, and had to do it because it was a way of sort of keeping in shape, but I hated it. Yeah. So I still enjoy being in the pool, still enjoy swimming and training. And so it was never the intention to really get back into racing. But um, I think as a result of my, my kids doing it and getting more enjoyment out of what they do, I've actually,
0: I've actually really enjoyed dipping back into it. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, and you say that you swim with a group of people at lunchtimes at Loughborough. So are you still kind of doing four or five sessions a week or is it a little bit more casual than that now?
1: No, at the moment, I'm trying to. So this week, I've managed to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So if I can get one more in tomorrow, that's really good. I'm certainly not up at 5k sessions anymore. Um, You know, it's a little bit less than that. But yeah, you know, I think a few years ago, uh, the intention would have been to swim, you know, lunchtime every day, but I'd find reasons or excuses not to, whereas now I'm actually the opposite. You know, I'll I'll, I'll find reasons and make a way to make sure I can get in. So I block out the time in my diary. So if people are asking for meetings, uh, you know, between like eleven and twelve, which is when I, I try and get in, or twelve and one, I just block that time out. So I will protect that to make sure I put my my health, my well being first, so that I can sort of stay in shape. First and foremost, it's about me trying to stay healthy. Yeah. Rather than me trying to prepare to you know, go and swim best times, which are certainly happening. But you know what I mean? It's it's about it's about health rather than performance. But I, I have enjoyed getting back in and doing the last few competitions, you know, putting those racing shorts back on, mm. feeling that, that little bit of, you know, butterflies in the stomach and, you know, not more than ever, not unsure of what the outcome is going to be because I, I really had no point of reference on where I was going to be. Um, but, yeah, I really, really enjoyed getting
0: back into it. No, oh, that's good. I'm glad. So let's um, let's talk about this, the current squad that you that you coach. Then talk to us about some of the swimmers that you've got and and kind of where they're at on the on the world stage.
1: Okay, yeah. So our, our high performance squad at Loughborough is is 24 athletes. Um, pretty much all of those are, are studying. So 21 out of 24 are student athletes currently on on courses at the university. So I'm responsible for for 12 of those, and my group is sort of middle distance up into distance and open water and then Ian Hume who I co-coach the group with he's then middle distance down into the 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 sprint athletes so we've got that kind of nice distinction within the group i think the big thing that's um different about what we're doing at Loughborough with that group is is over half of them are actually international athletes non-british and that was a strategy of ours a, a few years ago to make a conscious decision to go out and recruit um, international athletes, British swimming do a great job, you know, in terms of the national centres at, at, at Bath and in Stirling and at Loughborough of taking care of, of the majority of British talent. Now, some still choose to swim with us and and the sort of the, the 11 or 12 in our high performance group are excellent British athletes, many of whom are on like the world class programme with British swimming. But it's those international ones that have really been a game changer for us um in terms of moving the level of Love Pursuing to, to the the new heights, I suppose. So my, my my group I've currently got, I've got international people like I've uh, there's a guy called Andreas Vasayos from Greece, who's the he's the European record holder for two hundred im short course. He goes one minute fifty for a two hundred im, wow. which um is, is pretty impressive, right? <laughs> so um you know, and he, he's uh he's just an outstanding swimmer. He's he's just uh, a points machine for us when we go to the Bucks Championships, the University Championships, because he can certainly short course. He could swim anything you wanted him to, and he he would be exceptional. I think you know we went um I think like eighteen months ago to Bucks short course, and he he just I think he set sort of seven new records. You know, he was going wow. fifty point fifty point for hundred back. You know, forty. 45 for the 103 49 for the 105 things like this and just like he'd get out of one race he'd have 20 minutes rest he'd be straight back in and so he's an outstanding athlete and a and a, and a pleasure to work with i've got a guy from austria called felix Hubeck, finished fourth at the olympics um made three olympic finals uh, in the 400 800 1500 and he's world sh- uh, was world short course champion in the 403 um, I've been fortunate to be a part of that Austrian team with Felix since he's been with us. So they they take me to all the major championships as part of them t- their team. Yeah. Um, and other than not speaking German at all, that I've you know that's that's been I've fitted in great with what they do, and and Felix has been able to move things on. And then we've we've had a swimmer join us a few years ago who's who's on a really upward trajectory. A guy called Dan Whiffin who's uh, from Ireland, who he won a silver medal at the Commonwealth Games last summer in the in the fifteen hundred freestyle and then went and broke the European record in december for the for the eight hundred freestyle short course so i guess um and you know I've, i could go through all twelve of mine my athletes i mean all twelve of them either do or have swam internationally, and that's the first time in my coaching where my entire group is is of an international level mm. and then if we flip onto the the sprint middle distance side with Ian Hume that the group is you know, just e- equally as good with the people you've got. You've got two Swedish sisters, Louise and Sophie Hansen, who are just outstanding athletes. And again, I could list all 12 for you and and how fast they swim. And it's, it is it is an exceptional group. Every one of those 24 swimmers is, is outstanding. Um, and I have to, you know, like sometimes remind myself of that when you walk out onto poolside and see the calibre of athlete you're working with and the sort of journey we have taken them on or
0: are taking them on. It's, it's a, it's a real privilege to work with, with those sort of people. And it sounds, sounds absolutely stunning. It really does. And um, I can imagine you do have to pinch yourself every so often uh, when you think about how far you've come as well. And, and uh, we, you know, take yourself back to that guy at university. who wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do and here you are now with the, some of the best swimmers in the world. So that's, um, that's incredible to hear. So yeah, nice one for that. Um, in terms of, as a coach, what what do you look for in a swimmer? And I guess I'm not um, I guess I'm not just talking about the elite swimmers. I think at any level, really, what what are the principles that you look for in a swimmer? So,
1: I mean, the number one thing. This is really hard to quantify. Is, is and I hear this term a lot. It's like their their coachability. All right, and it's and you might ask me, well, what does that mean? And I, I'm I'm going to try and explain, but it, but it's. <laughs> You know, it's hard to quantify, but I'm just after an athlete. So let's let's take Andreas as an example. So he he came into us two and a half years ago as a guy that was multiple, multiple NC2A champion in, in the US, you know, European record holder, multiple, you know, European short course champion. And you might think with somebody like that, that they'd come in and they'd be quite set in their ways. Well, this is what makes me good. This is what I want to do. But he came in and one of the first meetings was, you know, like, well, what do you think you need to be successful is what I asked him. And he's like, well, well, you're my coach now. So you you tell me what I need to do and, and I'll do it. Okay. And so you've got an athlete that's swimming a 150 for a 200 IM and, you know, and all the times he swims, but he's so coachable. You know, he's like, you're my coach, just, Let's you know, you tell me what needs to be done. And they're very open minded. Felix is the same you know, guy that comes in that's NC two A champion has been to two Olympics previously, but they're very open to like, well, this is how I want to change your turn, or I think we need to try this from a nutritional point of view, or I want to change your S and C plan to this. And I've never had resistance on that. You know, they're they're very coachable. If you suggest or give feedback, they take it in a in the way it's intended. Yes. and and my and the flip side of that, my frustrations as a coach, having worked with people not necessarily now at Loughborough because I think we have a really good culture in terms of don't behave this way, but probably previously at certain times is people who are closed off to that.
0: Yeah.
1: Or people who see feedback as a as a personal attack. You know, the, the reason we're giving feedback is to try and help you get better, not to try and attack you and say, well, you're terrible at this, but it's, it's how the message is received sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question, what I look for in a coach is that, is that how... How open and honest are these people how how coachable are they how receptive are they to feedback
0: um and that that for me more than anything is is vital yeah no, that sounds fantastic in terms of um paris twenty twenty four then what what are your hopes for your for your summers are are there a number of summers that you're hoping will will make it
1: yeah de- definitely and I think again it's we're we're at a point where making it is probably is one part of it, but we are looking at medals. You know, there's no other way around it. You know, right now, when we have a coaches meeting and we we forward plan in terms of what our goals are, of course, there's going to be some athletes that their 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 goal is, can we qualify for that, that Paris Olympic team? But we're setting our sights on medals, you know, and I'm not, you know, not going to say a number or, you know, we, we know a number, but, you know, in terms of a team, that that's the route we're now looking at. Whereas probably four years ago, or or would it you know be less than that? But as we were heading towards uh into Tokyo and even previously with with the program, it was about right, how many people can we put on a team? Well we don't they're not conversations we have anymore. You know, yeah. it's like right, how many people can we put in finals or how many medals could we could we win? Um and by by doing that it pushes the whole level up because then the people who perhaps were maybe on the fringe of wanting to make it or not sure if they could. If you're training in a lane with someone who's, you know, just broken a European record or is number one ranked in their event in the world, you know, for, for 2022, then you're setting your sights higher because you're training with them day in, day out. You're seeing the best and worst of these other people. And you realize that you can be part of that too. So as I say, we've got 24 in the group and you could probably chat to, I would say, you know, 22 out of 24 of them would say, I want to be in Paris. Now, clearly, not everyone is gonna be, because it, it doesn't work like that. It's sport and it it's not as simple as that. But we're in that position where that that is the goal that these guys are aiming at now. And and that's really
0: exciting to be to be part of that and taking people on that journey. Mm. And just on a personal level, have you ever been to the Olympics as a coach with, with your swimmers before?
1: Yeah, so I was fortunate to be fortunate enough to be in Tokyo. So I was there with, with Felix with the Austrian team. Um, that was my first time being at Olympics and in the village and, you know, sort of experiencing that whole circus of what that's all about. Now, obviously, COVID was still really yeah. impactful at that time. No crowds, there were restrictions, but having never been to an Olympics, I didn't really have a point of reference to compare yeah. it to. So I know other people that had been before who said, oh, well, it was different, you know, couldn't do this, couldn't do that. It wasn't different for me because it it was just, it was all new. Mm. Um, and that was an in, that was an incredible experience. I mean, finishing fourth was was a real kick in the nuts. You know, it was like that that was really tough to take. You know, albeit the the performances were amazing. You know what Felix did there, um, but just the result of the race to finish so close to to a medal and so close to a gold medal, really. But that's that's the Olympics, you know, and that's that's what happens. And I think you know, as a Loughborough team, the people we had there. We were so fortunate to have people, you know, representing Sweden, France, Ireland, Austria, Greece, Kenya, Britain. You know, we it, it was amazing to have a real presence there from Loughborough, and just to be part
0: of that and be part of that Olympic experience was uh, was amazing. Oh, sounds fantastic. Well, all the best for for Paris 2024. Obviously, I hope you have the success that you you hope for, um, and also just want to say congratulations. It sounds like your career is going really well. You've got your dream job. That is fantastic. And um, you've had some brilliant experiences along the way. Um, I'm so glad I met you. Um, You're a top guy. So thank you very much. And thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate it. No, it's been great, Joe. Thanks very much. Cheers.